A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to the Stronger Minds podcast, where I, Kimberly Wilson, chartered psychologist, bring you insights into the mind along with the latest information and research on how to build healthy brains. This is a follow-up episode to the Understanding Borderline Personality Disorder pod. In this episode, I talk to mental health blogger Brian. Brian started tweeting and vlogging about BPD after he noticed that it was rare to see men talking about the diagnosis. In this conversation, he sheds light on some of the aspects of the invalidating environment characteristic of the later development of BPD, and describes how his symptoms can impact his relationships. You can show Brian some love on Twitter at BPDBrian and watch his videos on YouTube at Brian's BPD Journey. Brian, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. And really what we want to do, I guess for the sake of the audience, is really to give a personal perspective on what is otherwise quite an impersonal and I think quite misunderstood diagnosis. Okay. So, well, actually, it's probably worth starting at the beginning okay. with what kind of led up to you receiving your diagnosis. Okay, well, first, thank you for inviting me to do this. Um, basically, I was having some sort of struggles in my relationship, and also um, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety when I was about 11 or 12. And um, obviously, as I got older, I just thought it was definitely more than that. And um, so I was just having a bad day at home. And I started watching mental health videos and just trying to figure out what something was. And How old were you? Um, this was last year, so I was 24. And um, yeah, so I was watching different mental health videos by um, a therapist called Katie Morton, who does videos. and. Um, so I always thought it was bipolar, uh, but I I always thought my manic episodes weren't very long. Mm-hmm. It was always like up and down throughout the day, and um, so I came across a borderline personality disorder video, and it was definitely like I was ticking off all the boxes. I was thinking, yep, I see that. Yep, I see that. I see that. I see that. And so I was having an assessment about my mental health anyway, and um, went through with that. And in the thing, you know, it's also brought up. BBD and stuff, I was like, yeah, that's what we think. Um, then when it came to talking about medications, mm-hmm. um, they were saying it doesn't necessarily help with BPD, we can help with the mood side of things. So it's really up to you whether you want to take them. And then I got my assessment letter back and they the letter said I just had BPD traits rather than BPD. So that was confusing. So I decided to call them up mm-hmm. and they said... Um, so obviously, labels aren't really a thing, really. It shouldn't be a thing anymore. But 
I was like, well, I need to know so I can tell people, especially doctors or at work, if things happen. And they said, oh, yeah, um, you do have it. We just don't want to diagnose you with it because we don't believe in labels and um, and it might prevent me getting right treatment. And so I was looking into that, I thought, because obviously BPD is quite stigmatised. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that sort of comment is stigmatising it more by saying people won't want to help you mm. diagnose you. There's a, there is a big question, mm-hmm. and it's a kind of philosophical question about diagnosis. So even to the point where I'm a counselling psychologist, and we are very much on like a pluralistic phenomenological basis, <laughs> which is the idea that the, the individual is the, the expert in their care, and you know we, we try to see people from an individual perspective. Yeah. Versus a more kind of uh, medical model, which would say, well, this is a diagnosis, and da 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 da. And I think there are this is. Is in psychology, this is a kind of constant philosophical argument. And I think for for clients and patients, it can be as well. Because on one hand, sometimes getting that diagnosis is a, a massive relief. You know, yeah. I can finally, I know what this is. It has a name. There are treatment plans. There are places I can go. There's a kind of encapsulates it yeah. for some people. Whereas for others, particularly if they have, themselves or have had experience of very negative or stigmatized views of mental health it can be quite frightening to get a diagnosis yeah and I think um again because I was looking so I felt like it was more mm-hmm. I was looking for that answer and because already sort of seeing it in myself mm-hmm. that didn't scare me so I just wanted that clarity really so I could get the right treatments and things like that and um so it just felt really invalidating and confusing mm. where, you know, they are saying, yeah, you do have it, but actually we're just going to say you've got traits so we don't diagnose you. And um, so the conversation on something, I know some people just get diagnosed with the traits so they can get the right treatment mm-hmm. rather than the full diagnosis. But I think on the flip hand, I think when I did sort of get the diagnosis, especially doing YouTube videos and things, I didn't, again, I didn't want to be portrayed as a fraud or something mm-hmm. self-diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And so sort of but so yeah even when I first got that diagnosis I think that was when I was starting to become the diagnosis um you know because I'm a big believer especially in doing my videos and showing the real side of it rather mm-hmm. than just the positives or just the negatives you know people with mental illness they are an individual mm. and they go through things as any other person would and obviously with BPD the emotions are very heightened mm-hmm. yeah I just started to become it started questioning how do I react to this person? Or I would start saying, oh, it's just my BPD to some potentially normal things. Mm-hmm. Or then I'd start sort of normalising it at first. So you wouldn't be sure whether your reaction to a situation was a normal reaction that yeah. anybody would have mm-hmm. or whether it was kind of a reflection of the diagnosis mm-hmm. in the BPD. Yeah, yeah. And I think especially as a male, mm-hmm. I think... Um, there's always this thing about man up and mm-hmm. not to show emotion. And I think it was weird because even though people told me that, I still showed like a lot of emotion. Um, and I think in a way people didn't know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I think, you know, it's 2019, you know, you've got people with different sexualities and really becoming themselves mm-hmm. now. And I think... It's so invalidating when somebody says, no, that's not what you're thinking or no, that's not what you should be doing. And 
especially when people say things like, oh, everybody gets like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went to a thing called Brief Interventions where I was seeing somebody for six weeks and um, my sessions were supposed to be an hour and um, she stopped it after 25 minutes one time and then the next time she was like, oh, coming back this up, I want to have my lunch. Um, I mean, I, I kind of want to pause there and say that that should never have happened. Mm-hmm. I'm really sorry that that was your treatment experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's no excuse yeah. for that. And I think the other thing as well, because when I was talking to her about BPD, she thought, well, actually, I don't know much about it. And I sort of thought, well, why was that person given to mm-hmm. me then? And again, they were like, oh, everybody gets emotional when this happens. Or, sure. Especially coming from that same place you know where you know they said you do have it but we don't diagnose you with it but here's the treatment but then the treatment's unreliable and invalidating it all yeah itself. and because that was at, i was at another mental health session in the morning and then i had um a meeting with her at like 12 or something but the thing in the morning i ran like 10 20 minutes and so i was walking up there and i got a voicemail saying oh we've decided to discharge you because you haven't turned up rather than actually checking, see where I was, or if everything was okay. It's like, no, we're just discharging you. And I think it's, I think it is hard because, you know, especially with funding and things like that, but sure. I think when you're not checking up on your clients, when they're not turning up, that can make you feel like they don't care. I was going to ask you about when you did receive your diagnosis, mm-hmm. whether you had, whether you received at the time an explanation about what BPD is, mm-hmm. how it develops, you know, what the conditions are that in which it kind of typically develops. Like, how satisfying an explanation of the disorder did you receive? Well, actually, I think I found I got a better explanation from YouTube videos rather than the person I was seeing. And um, I think it's great that people can get access to sort of things on YouTube and social media and stuff so easily. I think that's great. But when somebody has to rely on that rather than the person that's supposed to be, you know, in therapy with or um, going through treatment with, that you do really start to think you're in it on your own. And while some of it is your personal responsibility, if you're in somebody's care, you know, that should be them to say, okay, this is what this is. My, My GP, she's quite hard to see. So... For years with my mental health, I was constantly bouncing around different doctors. So I had to always explain things again, or they'd always have different opinions with things. And I'd say, this medication isn't working, even though it's been six months. And I'd go, okay, we'll just try another month or we'll up up the dose. And I keep saying it's not working. And um, so I know with like GPs, they, I think they're not as aware with mental health or that expertise. Obviously, that's why they pass you on. but when they do say, I'll try and see the same doctor, but then that's not yeah. happening or they're not trying to make that happen. Mm. And especially with BPD, you know, that's such an invalidating thing where people say, oh, it's just, you're just a drama queen or um, things like that. So I think... Have you had that kind of statement? Because it is something, it's a very common accusation of attention seeking or being a drama mm-hmm. queen has, has that been your experience yeah and I think um I think especially at school and things like that um I just remember at school really just feeling those intense emotions and obviously as a teenager they're heightened anyway 
So sure, the PPD yeah. emotions plus puberty is not fun. <laughs> so I just remember just being in the classroom, just bursting into tears for no reason. I knew I was sad, but I did not know there was no reason. And so people say, oh well, if you don't know, you must be doing it for attention and things like that. And um, I think even when I was younger, I remember just sometimes bursting into tears at school because I felt like my parents had abandoned me because they dropped me off at school and they were late picking me up. And um, as well, I think I remember because I think I was supposed to be going to like Toys R Us with my auntie and uncle when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And we're constantly looking out the window, waiting for them. So we'd be like, oh, they're picking up at two o'clock. And it gets to three o'clock and they're not turning up. And I just remember being so upset mm-hmm. and thinking they don't love me. Something else has happened. I think starting to have those those sort of dark thoughts, you know, around seven or eight years old is quite a problem. That's really young. How, in your own words, so the, you know, I described for the audience kind of the official uh, diagnosis and the criteria and, and how the kind of mm. lots of different overlapping ways of, of experiencing it. But for you, how do you understand or describe BPD? If someone wants to say, you know, what's it all about? Um, exhausting. <laughs> exhausting. And um, I think... It is just your mind constantly turning and constantly thinking. I think that's why it gets so exhausting. You know, I can wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. I'll be shattered by midday because my mind's working overtime. And what are you thinking about? What are you working overtime? It can overthink everything. So I tend to have it, especially with my partners and stuff. Um, I had it with my previous partner. He'll message good morning babe with like three kisses yeah. but if the next morning he just puts good morning without the babe I think no he's abandoning me he's leaving me so it's reading to small things like that or if somebody's read my message and they haven't responded in mm-hmm. like 10 seconds or something something's happening and um yeah I think especially with like the nine traits and I did used to like abuse alcohol a lot um I wouldn't say I was very dependent on it, but it was very much, as soon as something upset it set me, I wanted a drink. And What did the drink do for you? I think very temporarily it made things better, but once I had another drink, that's when I spiraled out of control. And I think, as well, I think when I went to have that assessment, mm-hmm. I felt rel- relatively okay that day because I felt, you know, I'm going to get help. And... In my letter, it said, well, he was very engaging. You know, he wasn't visibly distressed. And I think that's a misconception I do want people to sort of break from. Mm-hmm. That, you know, this, the happiest looking person could be the person that could go and commit suicide an hour later. Mm-hmm. And especially with BPD, um, my emotions can be up and down in half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember at one point where I... I was really happy, happy listening to upbeat music and things like that. And then the next minute, I was just crying uncontrollably, could not see any way out. Then another 15 minutes passed as if it never happened. And I sort of thought, what was all that about? And um, so whenever I'd be happy, I start thinking that the load's coming in there. Okay, so then you don't even trust kind of good states. Yeah, yeah. And so I'd sort of second guess things when good things are happening. Okay, this good thing's happening, so that means something really bad's going to happen after that. 
especially intense, you know, some um, unstable relationships, I tend to try and blend in with different friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I describe it as sort of, I wouldn't be able to have a birthday party because I'm trying to be all these people at once because mm-hmm. I'm trying to please everybody at once. And um, so I, I even feel uncomfortable if I'm out maybe going shopping with, with one friend and I see the different friend and I think, do I stop and say hello and talk for 10 minutes? And then, so again, with the overthinking, I could just say like a quick hello because mm-hmm. I'm with my other friend. I think, well, that other person's going to think I'm the rudest person on the planet. And so it's almost as if there is there is no place of safety where everything's just okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like you, particularly with the, that text example, you're super hyper vigilant for any sign of kind of threat in the relationship or rejection yeah. or abandonment. I think it's the sort of thing where sometimes that fear of abandonment is so huge in a way you sort of make it happen yourself because. When it's like that, I start badgering them until I get a response, and, and then I'll start saying, "Oh well, that must mean you're cheating on me," or again, because my mind goes to the worst place. And you know, I think you know that behaviour isn't great. Um, I just wanted to add that because I had noticed, especially in some other BPD groups or just mental health groups, especially on Facebook, people post their, like quite abusive or whatever like behaviour, and then expecting okay. to get the sympathy for when they're in the wrong because I think you know I think mental illness doesn't make you exempt from making bad decisions or mm-hmm. you know or being unkind yeah and I think you know sometimes we do get angry at people just like anybody mm-hmm. um but I also think that mental illness isn't textbook especially with BPD you know you've got the nine traits you've got all the different combinations I think it's at least 256 combinations so even that alone a lot of nobody, nobody's going to be the same and um, I think that's the other invalidating thing where you might even meet somebody else with a mental illness and they'll say, well, you don't have that, so you don't mm. actually have this. This is something else I've heard, which is where, and it, it's something that's quite worrying because, of course, friendships are so important mm. to your sense of safety and security and belonging. But if, say, you've got someone else in the group who says, oh, well, when I had my, whatever it was, event or diagnosis, this is what I had. So that's not real or you're exaggerating or you haven't got the full full thing. And Mm -hmm. this is kind of strange and very unhealthy, again, invalidation, but also almost competition. Yeah. That can sometimes happen between. Yeah, it's almost like, oh, who's the most ill sort of thing. And um, I think especially on Twitter and things, I've noticed some quite big mental health accounts. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that some of them start to act as if they have the monopoly on mental health. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of saying, well, I've got 30,000 followers and you've got 500. So that means I'm right or I sort of have this entitlement to sort of say, no, you don't have that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it can just be somebody that's just a vlogger like myself on YouTube mm-hmm. that might just happen to have like 30,000 followers. And I think, again, especially with mental health, you know, everybody's mind's different. So I don't really think anybody really can, can be in that position and say, no, you don't have that. Or sometimes it can be that misplaced well-intentioned. Sure. Where somebody says, oh, no, it's fine, we'll get like that. To try and give you that 
yeah, I want you to feel better, so I don't yeah. want you to think it's as bad as it might be. Yeah, so I saw something on Twitter. I think they were talking about like toxic positivity. Sure. Um, you know, people say, "I'll just get over it, be fine," and yeah. things like that. And I think that's the thing when it is those things covered in positivity, sort of that can be the most invalidating, really. Um, especially since being in recovery, sort of learning to sort of like ride with the emotions rather than suppressing it. Mm-hmm. But I think especially with, especially when I was first diagnosed with BPD, and that was when I tend to either push things away because I thought, no, I don't like, or, or I'd have contradict, my mind would be contradicting. So something could happen and I'd think, okay, I'm angry about that or I'm sad about that. Then I'm like, that's a good thing. Then, because I know obviously tend to weigh out like what's the con do you mean that that's a good thing i don't know like somebody could break up with me for example okay so you'd be sad but then there'd be a part of you saying oh, yeah now there's a new opportunity and maybe it's a good thing this relationship ended yeah so then it's sort of but it can be confusing mm-hmm. so obviously you think you know i should grieve the end of this relationship um but then part of me thinks especially when people say oh, don't dwell on the past mm-hmm. and things like that but that's, uh, that's one of my most hated phrases <laughs> You know, I'm absolutely on board. You know, we shouldn't. I think there's a difference between recognition and wallowing, and I think mm-hmm. often people lump it all in together, and they think that any kind of reflection is the same as dwelling and wallowing, which it absolutely is. The thing, not. I mean, especially with things like grief and stuff, that's not a straight path. Because you know, I've heard people say, "Well, it's been six months. Why are you still dwelling over that?" These people sort of can can stop talking to me. <laughs> No, and I, I've done a I've done a podcast on grief, which says exactly that. And it's mm. it comes in waves, and maybe those waves are weeks apart, or or maybe years apart. Yeah, grief is not a linear process, and sometimes you get a little brief reprieve from it, and then sometimes you're back in it again, and that's just how it goes. And that's the thing. I mean, especially in in life, you can't help but see things that might remind you of somebody that might sure. set you off or you know a family member you might not have seen for years will say oh how's this person and actually they passed away or yeah. something like that and I think as well especially when it comes up to anniversaries or a birthday mm-hmm. and you know I think it's sort of like what you're saying about the gym person when saying mm-hmm. oh emotions aren't real mm-hmm. and um I think I, I started to believe that I wasn't real or things around me weren't real um your experiences yeah or sort of just me in general as a person okay. I sort of started thinking in a way it was it was almost like I was a character in a tv show yeah. so I'd sort of start start seeing everyone else's characters it's mm-hmm. really hard to explain and especially when I dissociate as well mm-hmm. so because, because I'm there I'm aware of everything that's going on around me but I'm also not there especially because I've, I've had it before at work as well where I'd be like sat until especially if it's quiet or even if I'm saying people scan things through and people just be like, are you okay? And again, because I'm sort of there and sort of not, I don't think about maybe what I'd look like on the outside. And mm-hmm. um, again, sort of like with the whole TV character thing and things not being real, then I'd start to think that, I think that's where that's when I'd question my sense of self. Sure. Because I didn't feel real, then I'd think nobody else is real, everybody's playing a part, rather than my emotions being real or my thoughts being real. And almost like a script mm-hmm. and I think especially with like the black and white thinking and stuff as well I think in a way because of that sort of like script sort of thing I expect them to follow a script in a sense 
So if I want to express something to somebody, I will overthink thinking, okay, this is what they're going to say, blah, blah. And then so obviously when I give the humor response, I'm like, that's what you're supposed to say. And I sort of joke about it, saying, can you follow the, follow the script, please? Here's what you need to say. Um, but it, again, I think it's just exhausting. Mm. Um, so there's always an additional le- level of analysis in all of your interactions, but also in your mm-hmm. own mind to your own thoughts. Yeah, I mean, even buying lunch can be an overthinking thing. I can think, oh, well, I shouldn't have bought that flavour sandwich. And sort of like with like, like a sense of self, I think, because I'd always want to be like an actor or something like that. And I'd sort of, but then think about, I think that's more what I want rather than who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially with being impulsive, I remember because I started getting into country music. So I sort of thought, okay, I'm going to learn to play the guitar. Bought the guitar, picked it up, tuned it, played a few notes for half an hour, haven't picked it up since. And that was about over a year ago. And I think, but I think as well, you know, I constantly try and change what I look like with clothing. Because then I think, oh, people like this more now. Especially with how changeable fashion is. Mm-hmm. Especially if there's like maybe somebody I fancy, I think, well, that person's in this, or dress like this, or this person likes that, so I'll dress like that. And why do you think you do that? What's the function of changing the persona so much? It's wanting, I think it's wanting people to like me. Like, I cannot bear thought of somebody being upset with me or angry with me. Like, um, I remember I used to just like message friends going, Are you mad at me? And they go, No, nothing's happened. <laughs> Well, I was like, you're mad at me. I've done something. And um, so then I would go out of my way to sort of please them. So so even when they've confirmed that nothing's wrong, you still yeah. have this belief or this conviction that you've upset them, they're mad at you, so you still have to fix it. Yeah. Also, if I ask if a friend wants to go for lunch, they go, oh, I can't. I don't have any money. I'll go, oh, I'll pay. I'll pay for anything as long as I get to see you. Because I sort of think, I don't know whether it's like sort of, thinking I'd miss out on something, but I think as long as, long as I have somebody there, I mean something. Do you think that that puts you at risk of being taken advantage of? Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. I think um, I think that's where I can start to sort of latch onto the wrong kinds of people. Or, especially when it does come to me, maybe like buying lunch, or even just being around people that are quite, toxic because I just don't want to be on my own mm-hmm. so even though I know that they might not understand mental health well I'll still be like I need to talk to somebody because these three people aren't around so I'm going to talk to this person even if they do not understand at all expecting them to all of a sudden be major accepting and then I'd be let down when they're not but I think I'd always felt quite like I'd been taken advantage of really so I had it quite a lot, especially when I was younger, where a lot of friends, I don't really want to call them friends anymore, but like they'd sort of only be around when nobody else was around. So I was always like the last resort because this person can't do this anymore. Or it could even be the other way around. So I used to have friends where we'd go out drinking, so I'd meet up one of them at their house. And then as soon as they start talking to other people, I'm just left on my own. Is yeah. that then one of the things that's, unhelpful so in terms of the behavior of other people are there Mm. particular things that are really unhelpful for your mental state that other people do 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I think it's definitely the, oh, everybody gets off that. And um, again, I think, you know, that can be positive in a way. Some people might see that positive, so then they think, oh, actually, it was not as bad as I thought. But I think also inconsistency isn't helpful or sort of like fake support so somebody will say oh oh, 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 I'm there for you Mm -hmm. and then when you start to sort of show those symptoms they're nowhere to be found Uh, I've just built a wrap so I went on a recovery action plan and Mm -hmm. so I have like my supporters in there and I think that was eye-opening to thinking sort of actually who who do who don't I want in there Mm -hmm. or um even just noticing that you know some people are great friends as friends, but not on the mental health side of things. So Good people to go for coffee with or see a yeah. with, but perhaps not. But I wouldn't want them to deal with that if I was in a crisis or anything. I think, I think it's hard as well, especially because everybody's busy, people can't be there as and when. But I think, again, that sort of like fake support where in front of everybody else, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm here for you. Then when behind closed doors, they're like, in at you and saying no you shouldn't be doing this you shouldn't be doing that or because I have a relative who's like that and she's crying to her friend's parents and stuff saying oh I'm so worried about him this is when I took up an overdose um but then once it was just my friend and my relative um my relative was just basically saying he's so selfish he shouldn't be doing this he needs to think he needs to think of his mum so especially even just hearing those sort of things, it can be quite confusing. Do you mm-hmm. think, well, you're upset in front of these people, then behind closed doors you're really angry with me. Mm-hmm. And for something that's not 
I can't just snap out of. And I think it's also unhelpful having people pick the negatives out of you trying to be positive. So I've got a new job and but people say, oh, but you're making a pay cut. Oh, but they're not going to be as understanding about your mental health as your old place. Or they might be homophobic and things like that. And I thought, you didn't even say well done. Mm-hmm. Or congratulations. Yeah, I think just being around those people that will pick out negative things mm-hmm. in you. Because I think it's being self-aware. And sometimes it is take, taking that step back and looking at who you do have in your life and what relationships are good, what relationships are actually quite toxic. Mm. And I also just want to say to people that being friends with some or friends with somebody a long time or a relative doesn't necessarily mean they're good for you. And I think that's the trap I fell into. Mm. I, I felt, well, I've been friends with somebody for 10 years. Sure. Or they're my family, so they must be right. I have to agree with them. Whereas, you know, that that's not the case. And especially with uh so you know i went through some abuse as a teenager and um so a few years later my friend was invited to this guy's barbecue that abused me and she said well why don't you come i said well i think that's a bit inappropriate don't you think so she knew yeah okay and she went well why i was like well you know what happened she said well you just have to get over it then just because she wanted to go to a barbecue and have a few drinks and um and then she started hanging about with the person I mean, obviously i don't want to begrudge people hanging about with people but i thought you know that was somebody i called a best friend and um i think that's then uh, especially with like abuse victims and things like that i think that's when we start to feel shamed mm-hmm. or feel like oh maybe it was my fault or maybe i did consent or something mm-hmm. like that and, because they think it's not as bad, so maybe it's not as bad. And um, It's really terrible. When and especially, again, coming from somebody I've been friends with for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. So cause when you're friends with somebody that long, you sort of have a respect for somebody and you think, oh, I really value their opinions about things. Um, but actually sort of, again, when I was like looking within myself, I felt, I started to think, I don't feel good around this person. I'm constantly invalidated or told to go over things. And, um, but I think helpful behaviour is probably what's trying to be mm-hmm. positive. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was, that was my follow on question. <laughs> so, what things are helpful? I think the biggest thing, I think, especially with BPT, is validation in their emotions, even if they are very heightened. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you mean by validation, just in case people don't understand? Um, so, just more sort of accepting that I'm feeling really sad about something might, might be a bit trivial. Um, even if it's just sitting with me, you know, even if I'm just crying, so I've literally spilled milk. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that happens when I'm just having bad morning mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I just spill something, then I'm like, no, I'm a useless person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, one friend I made in recovery. She's great. And cause she's actually got BPD as well. <laughs> we actually sort of got diagnosed around the same time. So that was quite interesting because we were friends before that. Okay. And it's like, yeah, BPD buddies. And, um, but it's great because, like, you know, we text each other. Not, you know, we can text each other saying, how are you? And then we'd be like, actually, not feeling good. Mm-hmm. And because we've built our wraps together as well, we, we're really good at sort of thinking, oh, have you gone over your wrap? Or have you tried doing some of your wellness tools? And 
things like that. So I think definitely having those positive people around. And I think what's helpful is also not having somebody think they have to take everything on or that. Because I think another unhelpful thing is them thinking that I'm incapable of doing things myself. Okay. Um, Especially. So to not infantilise you. Yeah. Yeah. A baby. Yeah, because I mean, I've had that before, you know, where people say, oh, don't worry, I'll do that for you. Or they sort of, especially in my family environment, don't know whether it's because I'm the youngest, but it would be a lot of, we assume you don't know anything, but we expect you to know it at the same time. And I think that's where, because I know like quite a few, quite a lot of people with BPD, they tend to have quite a youthful manner and they can sometimes be quite childlike, especially when they're in a bit of a crisis. So it's because like a lot of people work that they go, you're not 25. And I was like, I take that with compliments that someone's like, well, you don't look it because you don't act it. But I think, especially around sort of my invalidating family environment or friend environment, I still feel like a teenager or like mm-hmm. a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still into quite, I don't want to say kiddie things, but into things like my video games. And, but yeah, so I think, I think again, just trying to be more positive. I think it's helpful to sort of look after yourself as well. If you're if you've got somebody close to you with BPD, because I think it's very important that both parties look after themselves, mm-hmm. and especially if I'm having a bit of a crisis, that can be a bit to manage. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with my rap supporters, I've got a WhatsApp group anyway, so I can literally just say in there having a bit of crisis, and it's good because I've got a few people in there that are very close around me, and other people that live a bit further away. So I sort of have them for different things. So person that lives further away says if you need to come down here for a weekend you can do that I think as well they need to look after themselves mm-hmm. I, always, I always lose track of what I'm thinking I'm like, I don't know what no, I'm no, saying no. and it goes no, because I, think, um, I think that's a really good point because I think it is fair to say that if you're very close to someone especially um, someone who is had a new diagnosis there, there can be some demands mm-hmm. put on kind of the well person around kind of understanding what this diagnosis means as well as the emotional mm. ma- demands and also trying to help you manage the intensity of the highs yeah. and the lows. Well, I think that's another thing I think is helpful is your loved ones educating themselves about BPD. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found out I had BPD when I was with my last partner and obviously because it was very new. Um, I, I just sent him a YouTube video for, I think it was like for partners or people with BPD and he said, well, am I not doing enough then? And did not even bother. And um, I think that's what hurt the most because we were friends for a few years before mm-hmm. we got together. So I thought, he knows things that are going on with me, so I thought he'd be quite accepting. So I think that's as well what I mean, where it's unhelpful, where people are inconsistent. I think, you know, I don't expect them to go you know, go and do a degree about BPD <laughs> for like seven years or something. But, you know, just, you know, read a few articles or watch some YouTube videos that only take like 10 minutes mm-hmm. and... Because, you know, a lot of the times where I have had that where people said, oh, your mental health, your problem, deal with that, I don't need to know about that. That's invalidation. And I think, like, because then that you do think that it is my problem, it's mm-hmm. my fault, I have to fix it. So obviously nobody else can fix it for you. But, you know, when the people that are supposed to love you, they don't want to know about it or they don't want to learn. Do you think they're frightened of it? Um, or do you think there's something else that kind of makes them step back? I don't know. I mean, I think especially with dating this day and age anyway mm. you know swipe right swipe left you know people want 
quick and easy. Yeah, yeah. And especially, again, with dating apps, you can filter what age you want, what profession, <laughs> how much a year they're earning. It's ridiculous. And I think a lot of people's opportunities are missed then because they're looking for something very particular instead of being open-minded. And so I think a lot of people, they can't deal with the hard stuff anymore, especially when it comes to relationships. They sort of think, no, it needs to be easy. So as well, I'd see on dating apps and stuff, it's like, I don't want any drama, don't want any baggage. I was like, well, everybody comes with baggage. Good luck dating a human, man. (laughs) Exactly. So I just think, I think people are scared, to be be honest, I think, to learn about something like that. Plus, especially BPD, again, it's quite stigmatised. So if they do know about it, they might have just gone by what they've seen on TV. Or What do you think is the worst, uh, if there is a worst one, but the worst part of the stigma of BPD? I think it's saying that, you know, like, we're abusive manipulative. And, um, again, I think especially with men, they tend to get diagnosed with narcissism instead, which, me personally, I think they're two very different things. I don't know how that works. Yes. But... Um, I am guilty of doing it, you know, I've messaged me and my partner are having an argument, I'm like, well, fine, leave then. Then they go to leave and then I'm like, no, 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 don't. And I think it's just, again, those constant thoughts changing where you think, you know what, I am better off without you, but then five minutes later you think, I can't live without you. And I think think the biggest stigma thing is that men don't have it, that I really want to put out there. Because especially since being on social media, a lot of men have come forward saying they've got it. So... And even friends, like um, male, female, they said, actually, I've been diagnosed with BPD, and, I, and I, they've never said that before. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think before watching the video, when I when I started thinking, oh yeah, I've got that, I didn't really hear of BPD. Mm. So yeah. to hear all these people around me saying, actually, I've got that, was quite interesting, <laughs> and it was great. So I think as well, then I got to communicate with friends on a new level, because it was that new sort of found connections of oh actually you've got that that's great and uh well I said that's not great <laughs> <laughs> you know I think again looks like with the YouTube video I've done about double standards I think yeah. it's just like a stigma of the double standards of men and women with mental health anyway and I think again being 2019 with different sexualities and things like that I think nothing's defined by your gender really and you know, you've got yeah. strong independent women out there, you've got strong independent men. And especially because I've seen it where women say, oh, I hate a man that cries, or I want a really tough man. Or they're like, I want a man that earns this much. and But then they expect the guy to be accepting of them being a work in progress. Yeah, so fully accommodating of any of their yeah. Flaws, yeah. In any other way, yeah. It's it's there's a ridiculous double standard, which I worryingly seems to be, and not just in mental health. I think in general, this war of the sexes, which seems to be heightening. One gender doesn't just deal with something. Mm-hmm. Men are scared to talk about their mental health. How many men feel ridiculed for being abused by a woman? Mm-hmm. Like the amount of stigma they'd get if they said, "Oh, yeah, this woman touched me." And I think it's a very serious thing. And um, I'm not shitting on women, I'm not shitting on men. I think, again, we're all, everyone's capable of doing mm. something. And we need to look at each other as individuals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of members of a particular group. I think, that's, I think that's why, you know, people don't really like labelling things anymore. Especially with 
people's different genders and things like that. So people are just like, I'm just me at the end of the day. I don't want to be defined by my gender. I don't want to be defined by the job I've got, uh, age even. Because um, I think, especially being like, working in retail, a lot of the older generation seem to think, oh, well, you're young, so you don't know what you're doing. You have no respect for us. And they think that then they can talk to us that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think just being a human is good instead of just saying, you know, I'm a male, I'm 25, I'm gay. You know, I think it's just, I'm just me. Find out what's about me rather than what's on the exterior, really, or what's on my birth certificate, really. Um, so that's a, that's a lovely sentiment. I wanted to ask Dan, you've spoken already about some of the hostility on Twitter, mm-hmm. people saying, you know, you should kill yourself, and also of the stigma of the diagnosis all by itself. So why did you start vlogging? Because it's massively exposing isn't it? It's kind of putting yourself out there in a way mm-hmm. to the world and kind of opening yourself up to other people's po- positive, negative, in-between assumptions about you. It's a really good question. I think, um, so I had a different YouTube channel that I've done all sorts of different videos for. So I've done some mental health ones. I've done some just random vlogs, done some like reviews on music and things like that. And I saw that was all kind of messy and I just felt like I really wanted to do like a mental health one. And I think my mental health journey has been a long journey and it's not been easy. And um, I think the one thing that did help me get through was watching YouTube videos for me um, to make me feel I wasn't alone. Because even just the tiniest sentence somebody could say in a video, I'd be like, that's me. I recognise that. I'm not alone. And... Um, I, I was never really good at making friends in person. That's where I come from. It's a very small town. Uh, they're not quite as accepting with sexuality and differences, really. Um, so, obviously, when social media came about, you could start talking to people about your interests and um, things like that. And so that's where I found out I've got... I've, it's, it's, again, I don't want to like, shit on people in my real life, but I found I've got more support from people online than I did in my real community. And if that is anything to show, you know, you know it, you, again, you don't have to know people for years for somebody to support you, especially doing videos, because I'd, I'd thought about doing blogs, but I'm not very good with getting my mind into words onto paper. So especially when it's long-winded, I can do like tiny bullet points. So if I've done a blog, it'd literally be probably just like three words. <laughs> like, there you go. Um, and um, I think YouTube, even though it's like obviously only mental health videos, I think everybody has a voice regardless of who you are. And with the invalidating environment I have been around, I thought, you know, I could give myself a voice by doing these videos and helping other people. And especially, again, with BPD and the stigma of it being a female diagnosis, I didn't see many men talking about it. Mm-hmm. So I thought... Men need to see see this sort of stuff, and I think especially as a gay man as well. So I think that was actually the one thing I was worried about at first. Because I thought, yeah, I'm a man talking about it, but I'm a gay man, so maybe men aren't going to relate at first. Um, but you know, a lot of, especially on Twitter as well, 
I don't think I would necessarily would have seen myself friends with them if I just met them in the pub, so I'd be quite intimidated, so I'd get intimidated quite easily. But um, a lot of men, you know, gay, straight, whatever, and I think social media is a great way to meet like-minded people, and if that's the, if it means the cost of a few negative comments, and I think sort of like, how bad do you feel about yourself if you're commenting on somebody doing something positive? To go out of your way to do yeah. something positive. But then I also think, well, what are you doing to make a difference? You're calling somebody, you know, a C-U-N-T or something like that online, like hiding behind an account. And I'm leaning more towards Twitter than Facebook now, because I think Twitter, you can filter more what you want to see. And Facebook is more people in your real life, really. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. so I think you can really tailor it to what you want to see. True. Um, that is true. And I think the whole message I want to put out there is what my journey is and the real things about it, even if it's not good to hear. Um, So I think that's the thing with social media, anything social media, especially Facebook. It will tell you what's on your mind, but it should put in brackets only if it's positive. Uh, Because as soon as you put anything negative out, that's when people say, oh, your attention seeking more. Um, why are you posting it in here? Sure. Um, and I think that's why I want to put the whole picture out there because I don't want to just just come across as negative. I don't want to just come across as positive. So I think that's why people's self esteem lowers because they see these people saying, "Oh, they're always on holiday or whatever." Sure. But a lot of people won't post that they're crying in bed or they're having a really bad day. And so I think that's why again I wanted to do those videos. Just I think for me as well. So I can visibly see my journey and where I'm going with it. Yeah. Do you think you will ever get into acting? Because you speak about it as if you've given it up. <laughs> um, I think um, it's quite hard to talk about, really. But um, no, 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 it's fine. Uh, I think so. 2019 now, so about four years ago, I went to college to try getting performing arts fun class that I really got on well with and then um but I was dating somebody at the time and he really ruined that experience for me he didn't want me hanging about with the people at college after college and saying to me oh they won't be your friends in two years three years so that made me drop out and that was really hard for me because I finally felt like I was getting somewhere with it um I I'm with uh, an extras agency um but that, that didn't go too well because the day I had to, I had to come up to London to obviously get like, my photos taken and stuff, that morning shaving I covered it. So I was like, of all days. So in the picture, you just see this massive like cut. So I was like, that's probably why I haven't got anything. And um, but I think the other thing that sort of put me off was some of the characters in my classes. Because some of them had come from private schools or acting schools. They sort of acted as if they were entitled to the lead role or um and some of them they would really talk down to you or as if they were teaching the class and uh, quite a lot of that put me off but I think again I think it's I think it's about who you surround yourself with I think I would like to get back into it um so I have signed on for another year with the extras agency and I think as well though I think my confidence was always knocked when it came to that, when I said I wanted to do it at college, my family like were like, well, that's a very hard job to get into. You won't get anywhere. And you won't get past Christmas at college and things like that. And 
But one thing that stuck with me, which has always been a positive thing, I remember. So I don't really speak a lot at school. I think about really loving acting and stuff. Obviously, it was sort of a passion. I remember in our leavers book, uh, I think the librarian, she put, looking forward to seeing your name in lights. And I thought, that's the one person that believed in me with that. And that has stuck with me. And I think I would like to. Well, I hope I hope you do, and I hope that if it remains something that you're passionate about, you're able to get into it in some way, because I believe very strongly that we should try to express our, ourselves in the ways that... Yeah, I think as well, well, I think, especially since being on cover anyway, and because my mental health is important, I think that's the other field of work I'd go into, so about my mental health and helping people with that, because, again, that's very important with me, and I sort of want to give back to people that have helped me, and, but when people spoke about mental health, I've made friends with people that are doing acting and stuff. So getting tips from them is great as well. And I've done a few monologues, like on my, privately on my phone, not ready to post those yet. <laughs> um, but you know, I think I think acting is hard to tap into, especially when you don't have that confidence. Sure. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think having that lack of confidence and Obviously, having that yeah. not telling me, then thinking I'm not good at it. Yeah, but I, I hope that it remains a possibility for you in yeah. the future. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I think that's everything. Unless there's anything else that you think we've missed. I think, again, I think I just want to say that we need a lot more love than hate, especially with the way the world is at the minute. And um, I think as well, the other thing I noticed is like, when a celebrity would speak up about mental health or somebody that's got millions of followers, people are like, yep, I'm going to share that. That's very empowering. But if somebody like me with like 100 followers or something or subscribers does that, they go, no, that's attention seeking. Mm-hmm. And so, again, with that sort of like double standard, and I think I just want to say, you know, nobody's exempt, you know, everybody has mental health. Everybody. It's about how you manage that. And... I just want to say having a mental illness doesn't make you any less of a person. And especially with BPD, you know, um, again, 2019, I think we're slowly getting there with it being less stigmatised. And I think I had been quite lucky in that I didn't have a lot of people stigmatising it after I came out with having it. Obviously, I've seen it with other people, but I've never had it directed at me. So I think I was quite lucky in that respect. Um but yeah, just I again ending positively. I think just love each other and support each other as much as you can, and support yourself because it may seem selfish, but sometimes you need to be selfish and putting yourself first. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.